Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 28, Playing the Bad Guy, recorded Thursday, October 17th of 2013, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Brandon. And unfortunately, Mike is out and may not be joining us for episodes intermittently. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate, which is unfortunate because it's getting close to the holidays, guys, and our holiday fundraiser is about to start. Yep. Yeah. So to the surprise of nobody, we have picked the Bodana group this year, right? Yes. Oh, gosh. I. Why them? I mean, like... <laughs> That's a, that's a shock to me. I mean, I would think that anyone but them, like... Brandon has gone through three entire one-gallon bottles of fake surprise in a single minute there. <laughs> that's what that looks like, folks. It comes in pints? All right. Enough of that. Yeah. So we're supporting the Budana Group this year. I am setting a pretty, I think, ambitious goal this year of $500. It's a lot because we raised like $210 last year. But, you know, I want to try and aim high. I think it'll be fun because other podcasts are going to be joining us in doing holiday fundraisers this year. Not necessarily for the Bodana group. We're going to be each doing our own fundraiser. But we've got a collective goal as RPG podcast to raise $3,000 for various different charities. And then we take all that and give it to the Bodana. Well, unfortunately, no. It's all going straight to the individual charities that... These other podcasts. Hey, some of those are individual charities are quite worthy. I'm oh, sure. Oh yeah. So yeah. Now I'm not doubting their worth. I'm just saying, Bodana Group's awesome, doing awesome things. Right. By the time this episode drops, the fundraiser will actually have been up for a couple of days. I'm going to have a link on our website where you can donate. You can read up about them, etc. Uh, and there will also be a link to the team of RPG podcasts raising money for their individual charities, and you can look at the leaderboard and see who is kicking our butts, because we're small so, and so, they're larger. So, charity war? Basically, charity yes. War. I don't have We don't have a prize, and I was really hoping to have a prize for the winner that wasn't just bragging rights, but we'll take what we can get. Um, eh, bragging rights are good. We're podcasters. If you haven't listened to our interview with Jack Birkenstock from the Bodana Group... Then I, why are you here? <laughs> please go do it. <laughs> Stop this episode and go listen to it. It's episode 25. It's fantastic. It's great fun. Jack's mm -hmm. an amazing guy, and the Madonna Group does a lot of really good things for kids using role-playing games in too many ways for us to go into without a full podcast episode like episode 25. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Yes, which we did. Speaking of, did we hear anything about how Save Against Fear went? That was this past weekend, right? I heard it went very, very well. I have not heard specific details about how well it went other than the fact that they had record attendance this year. Awesome. Yeah, over 100 people, which is really good uh, for a, a con and only its third year. That's really good. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal, actually. Yeah. I think I think Fear the Con 6 was around there this year. and Yeah. You know, that's six years been going on twice as long and has a huge, you know, podcast as the yeah. kind of the supporting thing. And yeah, and one's in St. Louis and one's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So 
Yeah. No, I mean, no offense to Lancaster, but I think it is smaller than St. Louis. Just <laughs> yeah, St. Louis is is in fact a fairly large town. Yeah. Just just saying. Well, although you do have to say Lancaster, Pennsylvania is centrally located to a couple big places like New York and Baltimore, D.C. area. That's true. And what we're saying is everyone in New York should have been there. Yes. Yeah. And everyone in Baltimore. Including people who don't role play and don't even know what it That's is. That's right. They show up. What is this? Oh, cool. All right. Speaking of cons, I want to plug something. Eight million new gamers? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cons, I want to plug something real quick. Okay. This is Atomicon in Charleston, South Carolina. And by the time this episode drops, it's going to be like that weekend, which is unfortunate. <laughs> um, it's the 8th of November through the 10th. It's a three-day con. Uh, it is mostly a culture con. Uh, there's not a ton of gaming. Like, there's gaming mentioned on the site, but there's not even a schedule for it. It's mostly writing and costuming and geek culture and fandom and that sort of thing. But two good things for it. First of all, it is explicitly family-friendly and kid-friendly. It's actually put on in part by the city of Charleston, so they're keeping it real family-friendly. Anything R-rated pretty much is no, and X-rated is nope, you're out, out you go, and don't ever come back. (laughs) And the second really cool thing is that they're doing a charity auction and that auction benefits the MUSC Children's Hospital. Medical University of South Carolina Children's Hospital saved my daughter's life last year. I'm a big fan of them. So if you are in the South and have nothing to do this weekend, go. I'm probably not going to go because it's pretty short notice and it's not a gaming con. It's a culture con, um, which is something my wife would be really interested in. But we've got a little one, so that makes it hard for her to travel. Speaking of con announcements that are entirely too late to help anyone to attend, Monkey Con's tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, that's... Ah, uh, yes. Todd Zerker's uh, virtual internet con. Yes. And if anybody travels back in time and hears this ahead of time, <laughs> you should totally be there. Uh, no. Go but... to the one next year. It's, it's completely online. It was completely free this year. And since it's completely online, you have absolutely no excuse not to go because it's not like, oh, I have to get a hotel room. No, you just have to sit in front of your computer. What if they're attending a physical con? Then go to your hotel room at the physical con. Get on your laptop. <laughs> I thought you said I didn't con. need a hotel room, sir. You don't. You need a hotel room if you're at a physical con. What, I can't be at, like, two games at once, have my laptop at the table? Well, you can. It'll probably be disrespectful to both people. Both, yeah, uh, yeah both groups. But... <laughs> I can totally multitask. I don't know what you're talking about. Grant, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I could be on a third one on my phone. and if there was ever a good segue into tonight's topic (laughs) Uh, that wasn't Uh, it all right distraction at the gaming table go right right no (laughs) no just because you can doesn't mean you should Uh, there we go well done all right enough con plugs for cons we're not going to hey i'm going to monkey con or at least i'm hoping to go to monkey con but listeners can't go to it in the past let's get this started topic tonight is playing the bad guy. Shall we get the scripture thing going so we can try and pretend to stay on track? I'll take the one from Isaiah to get us going here. There we go. Come now, let us argue it out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." It is Isaiah one eighteen through 20. All right. I have Romans, Romans three 
10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And the last bit of scripture we've got is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the topic tonight is playing the bad guy. And Mm -hmm. it's perhaps appropriate that just before we recorded this Fear the Boot, our quasi-parent podcast, released a playing the good guys episode that sort of hits on some of the same topics in some ways. I actually haven't listened to it yet. I listened but... to it because I saw that. I was like, huh, I wonder if they hit on the same thing. It's it's a re- set of related topics and some stuff that actually I think we should talk about at some point, but it's not quite the same thing. Yes, but for anyone who thinks that we haven't had this in the wings for ever, I'd like to point you back to our comment on Redemption Stories, where I told every of our listeners to stop listening, and then listen to the previous two episodes, next episodes, uh, which were going to be mor- morality and playing evil characters. Well, yeah. this is this is the playing evil characters, and it's been way more than two episodes, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, we've had this in the wings, and we're totally not copying Fear the Boot, except for all the times we copy Fear the Boot. Fear the Boot. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, what do you mean our structure is exactly like theirs? How dare you? I know. <laughs> Actually, it's not. We don't usually have very much of a banter topic before we dive right in. But Okay, so playing the bad guy, we're talking about portraying evil in a role-playing game. Both mm-hmm. as the GM, you know, saying, hey, here are your antagonists, and some of them are mm-hmm. evil people or creatures or forces or something. And players portraying characters who are in some degree, evil. The first question I kind of wanted to bring up before we get into the how of it is why. Why do we need to portray evil in role-playing games? Well, uh, the very first biggest thought I have is stories need antagonism. If you're doing uh, a role-playing game, you need a bad guy. You need a villain. You need an opposing force, an op four. And it's usually going to fall to the GM to portray that, but sometimes it falls to another player. I've heard of plenty of different stories where different players played the opposition against other players. And sometimes it's really, really enjoyable, makes for a great game. Sometimes it destroys the game. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, any game of fiasco is inherently one where all the players are each other's antagonists. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember playing a game called uh, In a Wicked Age where you actually wound up pointed at each other as a con game once, too. Nice. I've got an Unknown Army scenario in my back pocket. Uh, It's a published one called Jailbreak where uh, you literally divide the players into two sides. Guards and prisoners, I'm guessing? No, uh, hostages and hostage takers. Oh. Yeah. And it's, it's a really interesting scenario. But... Everyone in games of Monster Hearts is selfish because they're teenagers and, you know, teenagers are by definition not the most careful people in the world. Uh, yeah. A lot of fake characters turn out that way, or at least especially in Dresden. In the game I'm playing right now, I'd say a couple of the people there are not very nice uh, people. The players are awesome and the group is getting along pretty well, but we've got a lawyer and an anarchist in our group. So that is, that yeah. is really, really interesting. Uh, right. And 
in Pathfinder and D&D, the classic example is there was alignments. People have been playing evil, quote unquote, for as long as the alignment tree has existed. And someone said, let me make a neutral evil, chaotic evil, lawful evil character. Yeah. Uh, and even without talking too much about player characters, you need, like you said, antagonists for the players. Mm-hmm. And while those don't necessarily have to be evil, if we yes. assume the players are there to do good, which isn't always the case, mm-hmm. but we're sort of going to be making that assumption for now, at least until we get to evil characters here in a minute, they need something to contrast that against. You know, yes. we're good people. Well, by definition, your antagonist need to be opposed to something good. Mm-hmm. They may not be horribly evil people. They may be misguided. They may be thinking that they're doing good when, in fact, they're not. But Yeah, and in fact, evil. actually, the honorable enemy that you, you can't hate despite the fact that they're opposing you is a really interesting character sure, a lot sure. of the time. But sometimes there's also just people who are bad people. Bad. You know? Yeah. You hit it exactly right. Like, a lot of times, evil characters are the proactive ones, and good only really shines when it's being reactionary. Because a lot of times, when good tries to be proactive, it ends up leading into bad things. Like, every single negative paladin stereotype out there, like, when he goes searching for a problem or uses his power in a non-justified way, it usually comes back to bite him, because, you know, that's... You know why I think part of that is is because proactive good in a role-playing game doesn't look anything like proactive good in the real world does. Well, it's because the real world always has another problem. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean a good role-playing setting should too. I mean, yeah. let, let me give you a perfect example of what I think proactive good looks like mm-hmm. in the real world and then contrast that to role-playing games kind of by way of illustration. So there's a couple of charities out there that pretty much their entire reason for being, the reason why they're a charity is to go out and give clean water to people in impoverished or developing nations that don't have access to it. Yeah. They'll go out and they'll do exploration and they'll, you know, they'll pop a borehole and these people will have a clean well and then all of a sudden everybody's not getting cholera all the time and dying at very young ages and yeah. you've drastically improved the quality of life for these people just by giving them clean water. Yeah. Unequivocally good act, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Not the sort of scenario that role-playing characters ever find themselves in. No. Uh, in some games, they do, but I'll admit, in most games, they yeah. don't. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be an exception out there, yeah. you know, for any specific example. But yeah, generally speaking, there's m- these bigger heroic things when, in fact, you can do a lot of good in the real world by simply attending to the everyday yeah. needs of people. Well, and one of one of the reasons why I think you don't see that kind of good in role-playing games, is even with people that like playing really moral, heroic characters, is because that kind of good is actually possible for you to go out in the world and do. You know, I can write a check to Charity Water, or, you know, maybe I can even volunteer with one of these organizations and schlep some equipment to the drill site or something if I've got the ability to get over there. Mm-hmm. No real-life person is ever going to save a village from a rampaging dragon because they don't actually exist. Hey, I saved a village from a rampaging dragon. I have seen plenty of villages, sir. They do exist. Yes. (laughs) No, but rampaging... Okay, villages do exist. Sorry, I I had to. rampaging dragons do not. But yeah, yeah, it's about one. (laughs) I walked right into that one. (laughs) Peter, you you are absolutely right uh, in that. My point here is that uh, the evil already existed in the world, though. So, in a sense, 
the proactive thing was out there and the good is going out there and they're being reactionary to the problem that they see, which is kind of my main point out there. Now, it might not be an actual person who's snidely whiplash and twirling his mustache and stealing all the water like cartoon style. I want to push back on that a little bit. How is a lack of technology on the part of the people who live there who may or may not even be all that aware of the outside world and evil. I mean, it's definitely unfortunate and sad. Satan. Eh, we're going to go to the fallenness of the world, I suppose, yeah. but it's... Which actually leads into the other point I want to have is, why as a Christian to put evil into your world? Well, we live in a fallen world. Yeah. We live in a world where there is evil, and not acknowledging that there is evil in the world is a great disservice to everything. Well, and it leaves you pretty much without any kind of a plot in a role-playing game. Yeah. Kind of burying your head in the sand to that extent is very delusional and a little irresponsible. And and, and in a role-playing game, boring. Yeah, and if you remove way too much of, like, the badness of the world, you get utopias that are entirely too saccharine and don't really have a lot of interest in them. I don't want to. You don't have conflict, and that's really what we're after. Which is why I want to bring up, uh, Peter, in the role-playing game you played, you specifically designed our starting area to not really have problems. And the yeah, point I did. And the point you did it was because you wanted it to be kind of boring so that we would go out into the area that had problems. Yeah, I wanted you guys to feel like it was okay if you left. It was like, oh, this city is kind of okay right now. Yeah. They've got a few problems, but there's a whole bunch more people from our order that are doing right. that, and the local law is pretty honest. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it's, it's an effective storytelling device. You're leaving this nice, safe, civilized, pleasant, generally good area and going into some place that is none of those things yes. and is a complete unknown, and that's interesting because we're starting to have conflict. Yes, for those yeah. of you who have listened to the first story, uh, Science of Storytelling episode, this is leaving the normal world and going into the break into Act 2, coming into exactly. the world of the adventure. Now, the final point, why why to put evil in your game? Well, it's very simple. Without evil and fallen people, there's no redemption. You can't, like, get pulled out of evil if evil doesn't exist. And that's something we're going to talk about a lot mm-hmm. with player characters. Yeah. So I don't want to spend too much time on that because I don't want this to be a four-hour episode. <laughs> and we could do it, I trust me. There's a few things we kind of wanted to talk about generally when representing evil that are sort of not specific to the GM or the players or the GM dealing with players playing evil characters or, or anything like that. And the first of those is, generally speaking, we are not going to be talking about sort of the stereotypical evil character. We're not talking Gargamel. We're not talking puppy-kicking sadists. We're talking about people who are, unfortunately, a lot like us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people who yeah, are... Fallen, fallen human beings with flaws and... Yeah, selfish and cruel and, you know, who let their vices rule them. And while yeah. I don't really believe in a doctrine of total depravity, where we are nothing but evil, there's a lot of good in the world, too. We're definitely fallen, and the Gospels specifically say man is fallen and needs to be saved. Without that, there would be no redemption of humanity through Christ. So there's value in representing that because that's us. (laughs) And as a result, you don't have to go very far to get evil. You don't have to have serial killers. You need the greedy shopkeeper or the greedy car salesman 
or a normal person on a bad day. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if I, if I oversleep and get into the car and I'm trying to get to work and somebody cuts me off, I'm going to think some very unchristian things about that person and maybe even say them in the cabin of my car where they can't hear them. <laughs> yes. And other and, people you know, will roll down the not... window and yell them at you, you know? Yeah. And that's obviously not genocide or torture right. or something horrifically bad like that. But, you know, it's an example of fallen yeah. human nature at work. Yeah. yeah. There are varying degrees of evil. Not everything evil needs to eat babies. Uh, you actually get a whole lot more out of an evil character when they have an idiosyncrasy or a limit they impose on themselves. Like Dr. Horrible Singalong Blog. That is a story about the villain. He's not supposed to be the good guy, but what makes him interesting and a good character, well, is that he's sympathetic and you understand what he is, but he also has limits. In the very first episode, he's like, I'm not going to fight you in a park. There's kids there. Yeah. <laughs> this also goes with the book How to Succeed in Evil, which had a half a good story and half a pretty bad story, in my opinion. <laughs> and the half good story was about the supervillain who had rules. He's like, hurting people is for amateurs. Yeah. And like... it. Well, let's, let's even go with a, a real world example. Mm -hmm. The Mafia... And I'm stealing this directly from Fear the Boot, actually. And they're playing the good guys episode. But, you know, the Mafia early on had very clear rules about how to do Mafia business. And one of those is you don't kill a man or hurt a man in front of his wife and kids. That's not done. Yeah. All of those old rules have been out the window for decades now right. in the real oh, sure, world. Sure, but, but, you know, one of the, the rules of kind of Mafia behavior originally was, you know, you don't take that into someone's house. It's business. And to pull out another fictional example, uh, which is Gentleman Johnny Marcone from Dresden, who is probably my favorite character besides Dresden in that series. As soon as I saw him, I loved him and I didn't know why Dresden didn't sign up with him. But <laughs> he's a villain. And, but the thing that made me love him is that he has these rules about it. And one of the biggest ones that you learn is he makes sure that no kids are ever involved in crime. And anyone who involves a child in the crime in Chicago is executed by Johnny Marcone. So yeah. he's very much not a nice person because he's basically executing people and selling drugs and running prostitution and all sorts of other, you know, really bad criminal things. But he's also doing it to keep people safe. He's doing it to make crime manageable. Did you guys ever play um, the first Max Payne game when he's talking about Vlad? No. I've played it, but it was so long ago. The the quote that always sticks in my mind is, Vlad is an old-timey bad guy with ethics and morals, which almost makes him a good guy <laughs> under, under the right circumstances or something to that effect. Nice. <laughs> and one of the other things is, you know, we, we've talked a lot about vices over the course of the podcast. We have a whole series about it. You know, when we're, we're talking about it, an evil character of any stripe, often that evil is a vice that controls the person. Mm -hmm. It's a, an appetite they have that they haven't learned to resist the temptation of yet. Which is why in my Pathfinder game, uh, I know you said that not everyone is evil, but I tend to take the opposite tact and I will put characters in that will come up as evil if they aren't outwardly trying to do... If you're just doing normal things, then you're evil. If you try to balance yourself, you do a good thing every once in a while, you're neutral. If you're swearing off all of your um, uh, vices, that's when I consider you good. 
in the <laughs> games. And so you walk into a town, if you did a detect evil, you'd see, yeah, it's lighting up all over the place. Because you've got a whole bunch of people who are just selfish or slothful or lustful or prideful, and they're just letting that control them. Yeah. And, but it's it's not something that you can then go, oh, well, I'm going to use my sword on the shopkeeper because he's coming up as evil. Well, yeah, he charges too much, you know, and he'll he'll find any way to get a penny out of someone because he's greedy. But that doesn't mean that you strike him down. <laughs> Or maybe he's not at all greedy and he's just a lousy person mm-hmm. to be around. Yeah. He gets into bar fights and, you know, yeah. he tears people down when they bother him. And, yeah, he's he's know, scrupulously honest and an absent father. Who knows? Yeah. Scrup- yeah scrupulously honest and absent father who loves going to, you know, the brothels. Right. And, Boom. you know, brags in- about himself all the time. Interesting or, or NPC. Maybe just the bar, yeah. you know? It's, yeah. yeah. Drinks too much on weekends. Who mm-hmm. knows? And like Grant said... Boom, you've got someone way more interesting than, I'm Ted the shopkeeper. I sell you swords. Yes, and much more interesting than, hi, I'm Ted the puppy kicker. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because that kind of evil is just... It's it's, a caricature. It's a caricature. You know, this this whole thing is kind of... I've had a little bit of a revelation here, and what you guys are describing as the kind of evil that you're talking about is what I see in D&D terms, anyways, as kind of the dark end of neutral... What I see is is like the actual evil alignments in D&D is something that's a lot of people probably say for things like demons, which is you're out to actively increase and intensify the amount of suffering in the right. world. There's And the lawful, chaotic, or neutral just dictates how. Yeah. The reason for that is D&D and high fantasy in general has that as a major driving factor. There are actively evil forces in the world trying to do evil things, promoting evil forces that contain no part of good in them, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. part of high fantasy, a dramatic conflict between objective good and objective evil. If you're a Christian, you tend to think it's part of reality also, that there is devils and demons out there that tempt people with their sins. Although there's a whole wide theological range of how that works. Yes, but yes. Um, all I will say on that is to quote C.S. Lewis, and I'll be quoting C.S. Lewis a lot in this episode, I apologize. <laughs> no, C.S. Lewis <laughs> is a great touchstone for this stuff. Yeah, I'm going to paraphrase it here. There are two mistakes people make when discussing or thinking about demons. The first is to take an altogether unwholesome interest in them, and the second is to deny their existence completely. So, yeah, I mean, that that exists in high fantasy, and we're probably going to talk about it some, and you, I didn't want to get into an alignment debate too much. No, I, I don't want to do that either. I mean, we did an entire episode on alignment, yeah, but, you know, but, like a year ago, so... We well, did. I wasn't in that episode, so alignment debate, go. Well, okay. and it's not a debate, necessarily, but I, I want to point out... our episode, go. <laughs> I just want to point out, I think D&D in particular has sort of done a disservice to people playing quote-unquote evil characters because you have this very black and white good evil category and people say well i've been playing a good character let me play an evil character well how do i play an evil character by being as evil as i can i'm going to go find a puppy and kick it and then i'm going to try and do everything else horrible that I can and get across just how evil I am. And, you know, some of it's juvenile role-playing, but some of it is just this idea that you can either be good 
or evil and the vast or you can be totally callous and unconcerned about everything which is kind of the the default position of neutrality yeah and the you know complexities of human evil and the fallen nature of man get lost in that completely yeah it seems more like what we're discussing actually is something more like a GURPS character with some less appealing disadvantages. Yeah, a GURPS You know, this or person has callous or bloodlust. Legend of the Five or, Rings or Savage Worlds yeah. flaw. I mean, any flaw system can have those. And they don't even have to be mechanical. They can just be traits that you've decided for sure, your character. yeah. Aspects and fate or something. Yeah, like, that is partially, I think, the reason me and you, Peter, have argued the most is because you think Hannibal Lecter... I think the jerk down the street when we think of evil. No, actually, yeah. I don't even think Hannibal Lecter. I think I think the Joker in uh, The Dark Knight Returns turned up to 11 and with financial backing. Fair enough. Okay, that is pretty evil. And I would say that's, that's horrible. And I, I wouldn't want to play that unless it was for a very specific purpose, because I did play a character like that once, but it was for a very specific purpose as to why I played that character. And now you're understanding why when I tell yeah. you about the time when I played an evil PC, I actually still have a yeah. little bit of a physical reaction to and, it. And I understand, but like I, what I, said, I, can, <laughs> I can describe a whole bunch of my characters. I would say, well, like he's a nice guy, but he's not a good guy. Uh, most of my Dresden Files characters, uh, the uh, wizard that I didn't really get to play was kind of a jerk. He blamed a whole bunch of people for his problems that he shouldn't have blamed. He was from a broken home and things like that. And he didn't like his stepfather or his, his, the person his mother had remarried, even though the dude literally had done nothing wrong. You know, it was just because his father had died and he thought it was a betrayal. And so he was not a nice person. He was someone who I would say is an evil person because he was hung up on all of his little like petty stuff and his self and his pettiness and he was not just putting that aside and saying you know what that's that's not about me i have to live for someone else which is what i see as the dividing line between good and evil is evil tends to be self-focused it's, it's like what will get me better what will do this well good tends to focus on well how can i help others and that is the dividing line that i put yeah into. or at the very least you know if i do this thing will this be bad for anybody else yeah you know can I do this thing that I want to do without hurting anybody? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of the, um, it's the do no harm clause from the Hippocratic Oath, which is certainly not like totally good, but it's a good starting yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Will the, you know, a, a good person will look at an action and uh, does this hurt anybody else? No. Okay. Does this help anybody else? Uh, maybe. Okay. You know, how, mm-hmm. is there something else that I could be doing under this circumstance that would be more helpful to, you know, and then it's. Well, that, that gets us to the other point that I want to is, is to me at least, sin is subtle and seductive, and that's why we call it temptation. Yeah. Because it, it, it's not like, hey, kids, why don't you go out and stab your parents? No one's gonna buy that. I did a fake ad where I sold car theft that way as an anti-theft thing because no one's gonna actually think that that's a a great thing. It's like, hey, everyone, let's go do this bad thing. But what it is instead is, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's a small, subtle voice in your head that says, no, no, you're more important. Yeah. The other people just won't understand the the necessity of it. Yeah. Yeah. They're more sophisticated than that. Yeah, I mean, I heard a great sermon a while ago. It, it was a UPS driver who had stolen a package that had been left by a FedEx driver prior to him, and he was caught on a security camera, and he went out and he, um, he like, dropped off the thing that he was going to drop off, and then 
He went back and sat in the truck for a full five minutes before he came back and stole the other package. And the pastor said, you know, we've all had our five minutes in the truck. (laughs) You know, where you sit there and you justify some evil thing you're about to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So to talk a little bit more about things that we kind of need to remember about evil, especially kind of in a a role-playing game context, when you include it in the game, I think it needs to have a purpose that we've talked all the time about making games into a teaching tool, teaching ourselves and others moral lessons. You're talking about it needs to have consequences, right? Yes. Yeah, I perfectly yeah. agree. That, that, that is the counterpoint to what we just said about it's temptation, it's seductive, it's usually a whole lot simpler than doing the right thing. It usually looks at the first like it's going to pay off a whole lot better than And it's anything. a landmine. Right. And it, it'll come out and it's like, well, it's not going to hurt me, it's going to hurt him, and I don't care about him, I don't know him, he's someone else. And, and so that that's how it happens, but it usually has consequences that you don't think about in the immediate future because they're yeah. off in the distance. Or it's it's not going to hurt anybody who matters. You know, yeah. it'll it'll yeah. It's a, one of the common ones you see in like heist movies and stuff. It's like it's a rounding error for this big corporation. <laughs> yeah. We're going to go. Which rob. Of course, you know, is a is pride speaking right there. Well, I'm more important than they are. Yeah, clearly, and, and, I need yeah. it. It's it's not going to hurt anyone who's named. It's only going to hurt an unnamed NPC. And honestly, how many times have you thought of other people in your life as the unnamed NPCs? Not in those specific terms, but certainly. Well, but, uh, I, I've said, yeah. well, I don't know that person. How many yeah. times have you said, I'm never going to see them again? What does it matter? And that's exactly what it is. But it it does matter. It matters huge to them because yeah. you have to put yourself in their shoes. The other things that you have to remember when doing this is keep lines and veils firmly in your mind and do not cross them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This was such an important one that we actually did an entire episode covering. Yeah. So rather than trying to summarize that here, just go back and listen to that one if if you're unfamiliar with the terms. Yeah. If someone's uncomfortable with a certain type of evil, that type of evil does not have to be in your game. Absolutely. Unless you talk to the person beforehand. And are able to be like, look, I really had this one thing in mind, blah, 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 but definitely. Or the purpose of putting it there is to help them work through something about it. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And I would say that has to be driven by that person. That can't come from you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that has to be something that they come to you yeah, with. Unless you are Jack Birkenstock or one of his co-workers, do not try and be an amateur therapist. Yeah. No. <laughs> They are, in fact, not amateur therapists. They are, in fact, professional That's therapists, right. which is why they can do that. Do not try and be an amateur therapist. Be a professional therapist if you are qualified to do so. Yes. Yes. That's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah. But you're right. Lines and veils, very important. Keep <laughs> those in mind. There's a lot of evil in the world. You don't have to use the ones that the other players or that even the GM or whoever are not comfortable with. And the lines and veils matter for both the player and the GM. If you are a player, keep other people's lines and veils in mind just as much as the GM is. If not more, because a lot of the time it actually, it's worse when it's another player doing yeah. something. Yeah, and we talked about that, in the episode, that in the episode, but it's important. All right, so yeah. one of the final ones that I have here is the things to remember about when representing evil, is that while true, unabashed evil exists in the world, genocide, greed, and avarice. There are, in fact, serial killers. Yeah. Yeah, there are in fact yeah. serial killers. Look at the look at the drug war that's going on mm-hmm. in Mexico right oh, now. Oh yeah. While that exists, sometimes evil is a matter of perspective. Basically, the person who is against me, who is not me, is evil, bad, wrong. 
in wars and things like that, we often have the ideal that you demonize the enemy and you dehumanize them to make it easier for you to do the terrible things you have to do to them. And you do it because, well, you're obviously right and they're obviously wrong. Well, the thing is, if you go to the other person's side, they could say the exact same thing. So, like, oh, yeah. in the game I ran with, with my goblins, they were raiding a town. They were stealing from a town, and they were not doing the right thing in the world, uh, but they were doing, well, like, look, there's there's a herd of animals, and they have so many of them, they aren't going to miss if we just take one a day. And the problem is, of course... Animals don't breed that yeah, quickly. Well, they, they, don't, they don't breed that quickly, and, but the farmer notices losing one a day. And so he gets upset, and then they get sent out after the goblins. Now, the right. goblins didn't do this because they were horrible people. They did it because they were starving. Right. And so, yeah, there was there was an evil in the world, but the reason why this person was doing evil should make sense and not just be, well, I'm twisting my mustache because, right. you know. Yeah, there needs to be a motivation, and that's yeah. a really important point. Again, high fantasy and a couple other genres have evil for evil's sake as a motivation, but it's even in those genres, it sort yeah. of wears thin. Yeah. Sauron is not that exciting a villain, and that's one of the reasons he's not really portrayed as anything other than an implacable force in The Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. Saruman is a much more interesting villain because he has motivations. I would say even Denethor is sort of a villain in some ways, and he's got these clear motivations which bring him in conflict with mm-hmm. the protagonists, but you understand where he's coming from, and that makes it scarier in some ways because you go, well, and the thing about somebody like Denethor is, you know, he's, especially in the film version, you see him and you feel just kind of icky about him, but yeah, he is somewhat understandable. He's understandable. You kind of look at it and go, you know, I kind of get where he's coming from, and that's a little bit scary, and that makes it more effective, so it's not something to pass up lightly. Oh, oh, you want to know what's what the most recent best villain I've ever seen before they did the last episode of the season and totally ruined it. (laughs) Amon from Legend of Korra. He was terrifying because of what he stood for. He was against bending, against magic, and wanted to rid the world of it because the people who had magic were oppressing the people who didn't have magic. And throughout the whole entire first Avatar thing, you followed people who had magic. Yeah. And so you were rooting for the benders. They were the good guys. They were the heroes. And in this one, you were following another bender who was the greatest bender in the world. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, this guy has a point and it's scary because he's doing extreme methods and he's doing very bad things to get it done. But he has a point. He's like, first thing he does is he goes after the gangs and that makes the place safer. Like he depowers a gang member right on stage in front of a whole bunch of different people. And he goes... See, look, I've made the world a better place. And people cheer for him. He's not being the bad guy. Have He's you, making you the bad guy. Yeah. Have you seen the trailers for the uh, the new X-Men movie? I have not. They're Nor really clever because the, the trailers I have seen are ads for the Sentinels. <laughs> They're ads saying, look how much safer the world is now that you don't have to worry about random mutants attacking you while you're on the beach. And it's ads of these sentinel robots standing on the beach watching, you know, the the classic husband and wife walking through the surf, being happy on the beach, and children playing, making sandcastles, and, you know, that kind of thing. And the idea is, look, you're safer this way. 
and you know, we know because we kind of know the X-Men and Marvel universe. Hey, the Sentinels are horrible creatures because you're supposed to be rooting for the mutants, you know? And so there's, there's real value in that because I would say any game that makes you think, any story that makes you think and go, what is the right thing to do here is worth telling. There's something you say a lot, Brandon, and I'm surprised you haven't said it yet. No one's the villain of their own story. Yes. Well, that's basically what I just said. Yeah, <laughs> I it is, but I, just, I, I wanted to make sure it got in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the actual quote is such a succinct way of it putting really it. Is. Yeah. And while we can objectively look at it and say, no, dude, you kind of are in some, you know, some cases. Uh, I've certainly been the villain of my own story <laughs> yeah, a few me times. Too. And I've kind of known it while I did it, but that's not the point. You yeah. know, by and large, it's more interesting when the villain says, no, look, I'm working towards this. And they have a clear motivation and a yeah. goal of their own. And this can even work for devils and demons. Like, they, they are out there and they are just doing evil, but they're doing evil for a very logical goal. Even if they're chaotic demons. Let's say internally it's, consistent goal. Okay, yeah, internally yeah, consistent and, is what I meant. Uh, yeah. Not logical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not understandable and not justified, but internally consistent, yeah, I'll they give have you. A, yeah. a motivation that is internally consistent. You're right. And those are the scarier ones, not, you know, woo, I'm some random force of chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So we've talked about how to do it a lot. If you are the GM specifically, I think there are a few things to keep in mind. First of all, if you are not comfortable portraying evil, you're going to have a tough time GMing, especially in genres like high fantasy. It's important to remember, you don't have to root for the antagonists you are creating in the game. No, in fact, actually, it's a lot of fun when you're rooting against your own evil NPCs and things, because then it takes all the sting out of having this thing that you spent, you know, a couple hours statting out, taken out by the party. It's like, yeah, they took him down. I knew they could. And if it's something you really have a hang-up about, or it's like, you know, I just, I can't do that, that might help you over that roadblock there. Just saying, you know, I'm creating something to clearly be defeated. And it may take the players a little while, but the point is for this guy to lose. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. We've talked about motivations. You know, make it logical because it's more fun on every level, honestly. And we've spent enough time on this. I don't want to get into a combat argument either. But every encounter in the game, except maybe inane conversations with shopkeepers about the weather, should have some conflict in it. Everybody's got goals they're trying to progress toward. And... When those goals are in conflict with each other, you have an interesting encounter. Grant, what you just said is a advice for storytelling. It is. Uh, yeah, characters in conflict equal story. And when you're writing out a script or a story, you want every scene to have a conflict in it. Every yes. scene. Every second of the film should have some sort of conflict on it. Even when they're sitting there, even when two people are sitting and talking, you want one person to have one opinion, another person to have another opinion, and then argue it right. rather than agree. Right. And, and you're 100% correct. I want to save a lot of that conversation for a storytelling episode we're going to have to do at some point about conflict. My point yeah. really is that if your idea of evil as an antagonist is hey, here's some random nihilist, that's not very engaging. You're not painting with the full palette exactly. at that point. Uh, or, you know, hey, You're here's, just using black. here is some monster in a cave, and it's evil, it's labeled evil on the sheet, so it's going to try and kill you. You know, figure out that motivation, because that'll make it more interesting for your players and let you kind of decide, well, okay, if it's got this motivation, what is its behavior other than I'm going to try and eat you? 
that reminds me of like one of the first games I tried to run. Like it was a module, and there was this castle that people could go to that you created your own thing, and I put a crazy wizard in there who had all sorts of really powerful spells, and he just messed with the party. He didn't have anything important to do. Everyone hated it, and it's because I didn't. He didn't have any purpose. Yeah, like, oh, he didn't, he I didn't think it's a goal. mistake we make yeah. Yeah. early on in our GMing and gaming careers. Annoyance is totally the same thing as an effective villain, right? Oh, yeah. No, not really. Yeah. To contrast this to something that happened two weeks ago in my gaming session, uh, the party rolled up on a town and there was a discussion with, uh, there was a debate outside the Mages Guild about uh, basically entire schools of magic being uh, restricted for the Mages Tower because the militia was scared of them. One of them being necromancy, one of them being enchantment, one of them being this. And one of the players said... I'm surprised evocation wasn't on the list. Uh, evocation is allowed to be studied as long as you aren't using human targets. You can't raise a inanimate thing from the dead. You have to raise a human body. You can't uh, charm the mind of a human on a dummy. It has to be done on a human. I can fry a target thing, and so they're... And also, they're a military, so they want weapons. Oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. And, and so basically, we had we had two people there. One was an elf who was an enchanter, and he didn't like it. And he was being all fiery and passionate and things like that. And the second person was, you know, just this girl who seemed very logical, and everyone in the party really liked her. In fact, one of the party members was like, oh, they took out necromancy? There's so many, like, useful necromantic spells. Like, and she didn't give me any examples, but I'm like, I wanted the militia to be a little overreaching in this, because then it was a conflict. And, like, as they started talking to her, they quickly learned she was a necromancer. Not only was she a necromancer, she was arguing for the 100% right to practice all necromantic spells. Yep. And arguing about the the efficacy of, you know, using the undead as slave labor. And the character who initially was like, well, this is ridiculous, all of a sudden was completely horrified by this person, and I have a new villain. Because she basically said, I'm going to do whatever I can to run this character out of town. And I'm like, excellent! <laughs> yeah. And then she'll come back with an army of zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Because and, and <laughs> this is fantasy. What, one yeah. of the, the best villains I ever came up with, and I've never had a chance to use him, unfortunately. But he's, if I ever run a high fantasy uh, game that's specifically D&D or Pathfinder or anything along those lines, I'm going to use it. It, it kind of came out of a debate slash design question I had for myself of, could I make an effective villain who was a cleric who channeled positive energy? who was clearly on the good guy's side, at least to start with. And the answer I came up with was, oh yeah, easily. And, you know, sort of like what you were talking about with Legend of Korra, Brandon, somebody who comes in and says, hey, you've got this undead problem in your city, let's fix it, and then we'll fix the next thing, and we'll fix the next thing, and he quickly kind of becomes a tyrant. But he's got a clear goal of removing all of the evil from the city, you know? He's just become a monster in doing so. You're talking about the classic paladin, uh, paladin gone rogue archetype. Yeah. It's like, I will destroy all the evil. And th- that's when they get to the whole, you know, like using, uh, detect evil as a weapon targeting, target, yeah, targeting yeah. system. Yeah. In this other case, other than- it was, um, it came out of a, a kind of a design slash optimization thing of could we, in fact, destroy a party using only heal spells? And the answer is yes, if you take them to the positive energy plane, because then they explode. <laughs> It's fun. Anyway. See, I, I was I would just think of him as like he's a dude who's standing in the back of his army and he's just healing all of his, you know, troops and I wanted something like an actual like boss fight, and so I kinda came up with a whole mechanical thing for it, but neither here nor there. The point is, you know, he's a villain because his motivations 
are scary and run against the party and what the party thinks is a good thing, but he's certainly not the villain of his own story. Um, in a way, I don't think we have too much to talk about as far as portraying evil as a GM. You have to do it. You like, can, you have to do it, and I think it's okay to do so as long as you're not crossing lines and veils. You're, you're probably going to have to get into the, the mind of a villain. And yeah. the one way to help yourself get into the mind of a villain is A think that this guy is not supposed to win, but that doesn't mean that he needs to fall over when you hit him with a feather. He's not supposed to ultimately win. Yeah. 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 Oh, the other thing you were talking about, and you, you mentioned above, is if you think that's something that's going to bother you, make sure you're putting your, on the full armor of God, as you said, Grant. That was actually you know, Peter, like, but yeah, it's, a, it's exactly the right quote. You know, armor yourself oh. against it. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was something you added. I actually didn't add any scripture to this outline. Go figure. I think maybe this might have been Mike, because I didn't get a chance to look up any verses before I came screeching in the door from work, so... I know it was Grant from the previous playing bad guys thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that was me then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Who did the awesome thing? (laughs) I did the awesome thing. This is is like anti-pride here. This is like... (laughs) It's it's my feeling memory is what it is. All right. Humility gone wild! No, uh, I didn't do it! You didn't! No, I'm my, more humble. <laughs> migraine no, toddler more... parent gone wild. More like it. Uh, <laughs> I've had a migraine for like four days. It's been driving me nuts. migraine toddler parent gone bathump. Yeah. <laughs> Grant? Grant? <laughs> but yeah, it's true. It's like, if, if you think this is something that can hurt you, protect yourself. Uh, make sure that you're rooted in everything and that you send yourself and you feel like, hey, this isn't me. This is a character. This is just just like I think that it's okay for Christians to portray evil people in movies and in video games and film and everything out there. It, it's all right to be. I'm the villain of this piece. And <laughs> I think it's perfectly fine to do that. It's perfectly fine for you to get yeah. into this mindset and do and this. If you've thing. ever wondered what an entire ham sounds like in a performance, Brandon has helpfully demonstrated. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> to carry that point a little bit further, if this is something you're really uncomfortable with, pray before the game starts. You know, ask for help from God to not fall victim to what you're trying to portray, but instead help others learn from that portrayal. You know, we pray for strength. We put on that armor of God and try and turn that into something useful. Let me throw out another point real quick here, just for anybody who's, you know, still like, oh, well, maybe this is a sign that you shouldn't be engaging in this hobby if you're having to portray evil. There's plenty of it portrayed in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to know what it looks like, how it operates, um, the signs of it, and that sort of thing, so you can be watchful for it. Yeah. And role-playing games being fiction are safe in that respect, as yeah. long as you take some care to make them so. Yeah, and no one's um, going to die in a role-playing game. Like, literally die. And if they do, you're doing something really, really wrong. No, but it is possible for somebody to be actually traumatized in yes. a role-playing game, which is kind of going back to the lines and yeah. veils note yeah. that you put in earlier. And we talked about some of these in our very first episode on our RPGs Evil. You know, there are certain things you probably want to watch out for, and there's points we've hit throughout the whole history of the show. New listeners, go listen to our whole show. There you go. Yeah, we've got a we've got a backlog now. You should go listen to it. <laughs> it's getting up there, and it's, it's and great. it's not large enough to be daunting either, which is kind yeah, of we're nice not happy jacks ways. or fear the boot. We don't have two three hundred episodes. It's twenty five. It's nothing. Yeah. I do see here. There's someone put up three sorts of evil characters which you can use. 
Yeah, that was Grant, and I think we really should touch on that, because I think that's kind of a, a good summary of everything that we've been kind of going back and forth on yeah. here. Thinking about it, I think there's three sorts of categories of evil player characters which are of any use to a role-playing game played by Christians. There's the tragic figure, the redeemed figure, and what I'm calling kind of the darker self. The tragic figure is pretty self-descriptive. It's somebody who starts off kind of a decent person or... Somebody who genuinely means well, at some, least. Well, they may mean well, they may not. Usually they do. So this is the Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, or to, to pick a more classic example, it's Brutus from Julius Caesar. It's somebody who starts off a decent person and doesn't end up that decent person. They started off better than they end up at the end of the story. They're sort of a, a depiction of what should have happened and could have happened, but didn't happen because they did it to themselves. The one person that this is not, and I'd like to call out this specific example, this is not Boromir. Boromir was a good person who stumbled and had a moment of weakness and then strove to become good right. again. This, well, is, this is the slow downward descent. Somebody who has gone from, well, I'm going to protect Rome and protect the, the Roman Republic to I'm murdering a man on the steps of the Senate. This, of course, going back to the Anakin Skywalker and the prequels, the, the Obi-Wan's on Mustafar go, you were the chosen one! You were supposed to save us! And, yeah. Uh, admittedly, in those trilogies, Anakin is written as a bad apple from the beginning. So... He is, but he starts better than he ends up, you know? He definitely starts better than he ends up, and the problem was the writing, not what the character was. Jer Lucas wanted to write a character that was the tragic figure. Yeah. He failed and wrote a jerk, all right? Yes, Lucas's yeah. writing failure is not, does not obviate yeah. the fact that this is, right. you know, a tragic fall. That's the main reason that he started in episode one is being so young. It's because George Lucas says, well, if I put him as a kid, then like he'll have to be good. Right. And, and, and Anakin was him. trying to be a good guy. And you know what? Yeah. I really thought the advertising posters for episode one really were going to do it right. Oh, yeah. Because that, oh, yeah. that great picture of Anakin with his backpack Can looking down and the shadow is Vader. Of, yeah. oh, it was it was heart wrenching looking at it before yeah. you know, I saw the movie because it's like. Oh man, we're gonna take this nice-looking kid, and he's gonna be Darth Vader. That's gonna hurt. Well, it hurt, but in a completely yeah. different way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, the writing—it hurts. Yeah. It hurts. Yeah. There's a huge range and spectrum of stories you can tell here. People who realize they've fallen, people who don't realize it, people who realize it and refuse to admit oh, it. Yeah, and I, I think it's really fun to give people choices and opportunities to turn back that they just won't let themselves take in stories like this. Well, uh, there's also going to be a story where he, the figure only seems tragic post-mortem, and there's a book series that um, I know Peter and I really, really enjoy, mm -hmm. where a character did this. Which one? Uh, the character was the uber-villain of the first book. And even giving away the title of the series would be a spoiler at this point. Yeah. You're but keeping I know exactly it what you're foggy, about. are you? Shut up. Yes. Okay. <laughs> we have to cut Grant's thing there. Just cut it out. Oh, come on. Childishly foggy, you yeah. might say. There we go. Mm -hmm. No one would ever say that. Don't say that. I hate you all. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to bring it up because it, it was such. No, you're a, right. 
Yeah. It's like, it's like, wait, that, that was what's going on. It's almost going back into, into the Legend of Korra thing. When Legend of Korra was going on and, and Amon was doing his reign of terror, you know, I'm like, you know, a hundred year war doesn't sound so bad right now. <laughs> you know what the, um, the best example I can think of from video games to use an example from there is hmm. Captain Walker from Spec Ops The Line. Never played. Either no. you played it or... No. Am I the kind of person who's going to play Spec Ops The Line? I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Am I the kind of person who has time for games? No. All right. No, you totally are not. <laughs> I edit instead of that. Come on. The, the line that sticks with me from him that he utters a whole bunch of times is things are getting worse and worse and worse is we have to keep moving. He thinks that if he can just push himself far enough up the chain, he will decapitate the evil in this thing and it'll all be better except for the evil is him. Yeah. yeah. All right. So but, we have yeah. the tragic figure. Now we get to the yep. redeemed figure, which is Darth Vader. <laughs> it is, actually. <laughs> he's right, though. And this is, I think, the one that we as Christians probably should get the most value out of. You know, people who are redeemed, who start off bad and get better and work at getting better. They may be redeemed by an outside force. We're not redeemed, you know, in the real world through our own efforts in a game you may have some of that i think it also works well to have someone you have to work to accept that if that makes sense no it does it makes perfect sense there's actually. um brennan you were talking about temptation mm-hmm. much earlier on in the episode and to, to paraphrase c.s lewis again it's not sinners who understand how strong temptation is you know you always say oh that that Lady, you know, she's so nice, she she doesn't even know what temptation is. Well, no, she knows exactly what temptation is. She, it's only by resisting temptation that you find out how strong it is. Somebody who gives in immediately never knows the full yeah. strength of that temptation. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not tempted, it's transactional at that <laughs> yeah, point. The only about. way you know how heavy something is is by carrying it. Right. If if, yeah. if you try to yeah, that's a perfect yeah. analogy. If, if you try to push on something, you're like, oh man, I can't move this. You don't know how heavy it is. You know how heavy it was, but until you stopped. <laughs> exactly. And I th- I think in a redemption story, you get a lot of value out of offering those temptations up to someone. Hey, don't you want to slide back down into this? And you know, depending on the the story, the character, of the game, maybe they do, maybe they don't. If it is a, a slide backwards. Maybe it's, you know, kind of a two steps forward, one step back thing where it's, all right, slipped up again, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Or maybe it's a deeper problem and then they have to come back out of a, a really deep hole. Who knows? But I think there's there's value in that. The person who climbs out right away and was like, oh, and the person who is like digging and scratching and, you know, dragging themselves out of the hole are both redemptive figures. It's the person who sets up an easy chair at the bottom of the hole and cracks open the paper that's not. Exactly. I like that analogy. That's that's good. As we're talking about this, I'm I'm hit by a comment from uh, Dresden Files, which I know you haven't read, but there's a group of people in there called the Denarians. Yeah, I've read up to book six now. Okay. Oh, I, I was talking to Peter. Oh. Peter hasn't read I have it. not read a single page yeah. yet. Yeah. So, oh, But yeah, there's a group called the Denarians, and they're basically knights of hell. They are fallen angels attached to 30 pieces of silver. I hope you can get the 
reference. Yeah, specifically and, those 30 pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically <laughs> those 30 pieces of silver, and each one of them holds a fallen angel, and they're really, really nasty. And it's said by the Knights of the Cross, who are the order of three people who stand against these 30 things, that you only get rid of it by fully taking up its power, hitting your lowest point, and then going from there. Which reminded me about the whole thing about like redemption and uh, alcoholism and everything is that you have to hit rock bottom first. Until they've, you know, seen the worst of it, they can't really start to go, okay, I have to actually make a change. Yeah. And there's a good C.S. Lewis quote I'm going to quote real quick along those lines. God allows us to experience the low points of life in order to teach us lessons that we could learn in no other way. Yeah. The third character type that I'm defining here. Is it the emperor? Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) A little. I don't. I don't. I don't Everything have, comes back to Star, to Star Wars. Wars. It's more... <laughs> I don't have a good example for it. This is the gentleman with the thistle-down hair from uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, I think. Maybe. It's it's kind of the, the coyote sort of character. It's, it's a little tricky, and I say it's a little tricky because it's a little difficult to define, and it's really tricky to play, especially if you're not comfortable playing evil characters, and if you're looking for moral lessons in your game. I, I kind of refer to it as the darker self. And Mm -hmm. it's a player character who is, in many ways, a dark reflection of the other characters. This is uh, Sir Officer Killbot. Do what? This is the evil character I played, who I made to kill all humans, basically. To make the the rest of the party, like, sort of see that they, they were being jerks by showing them a greater evil that they could become. Yeah, a character who says, you know what? I'm going to propose all the terrible things, and by doing that, make the other characters go, this guy's suggesting this? Maybe we should rethink it. Like I said, it's tricky to play. I think at the end of the game, this sort of character has to be proven wrong. For it to be a useful one, yeah. They've got to be proven wrong in sort of their philosophy, if not the specific things they thought might happen. They're kind of static in a lot of ways, so they're the not always the most interesting character. Just on that, yeah, like they don't have as much of a character arc. arc. The arc that they have is it's it's kind of a a player taking on a role, almost like a co GM role, and you could just as easily do it with an NPC. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you're going to do this, talk to the GM and get them to kind of help you with it, because you're going to need that for it to work. Yeah, and the the pleasure you'd get out of the game is watching the other characters' arcs as they approach this point and then veer away from it. It's a a repellent sort of character who the other characters go, oh, no, we don't want to be like that, and back off. Or you succeed and you get someone to go your way, and then you... And then you have a tragic figure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay to play a character like that if the ultimate goal of the game is to get some of these moral lessons across. And that's what we're after. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to point out before we move on. Well, two things. First of all, you'll note that at no point have we talked about the sadistic puppy kicker. Yeah. The, the shock character. Yeah. Which is not what I'd even consider really a legitimate character no. type. Well, see, the, the puppy kicker is probably a violation of the lines and veils rule above. Yeah, it is. And, like, and I'm ta- I use puppy kicker because I don't want to go into all the horrible things I have seen at the gaming table. Yeah. I mean, if if the puppy kicker doesn't cross a line or veil, then you kind of have a darker self. I, I admit, 
I am using puppy kicker as a euphemism for somebody who specifically is trying to cross as many lines and veils as possible. Yeah. You know, that, that person who's like, I'm mm-hmm. just going to do all the evil. Yeah, which is why I wanted to contrast it against Darker Self, where it just right. says someone who is very respectful of the lines and veils, yes. but still trying to play a not that nice person who sort of like shows you, no, this is the face of evil. Hi. Uh, cause he's- you know, an interesting example of the Darker Self that I think a lot of us have seen? Huh. What? Belkar Bitterleaf. He's on the yes. party side. That's a good example, he's actually. A, he's a nasty little jerk. And a lot of the other party keeps him around because he will cause less damage if they're there to keep an eye on him. Roy, in particular, has taken that on. Yeah. In fact, they specifically say, oh, Belkar would do that. Don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> Wait, you think this is a good yeah, idea? They, your approval fills me with shame. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Also, Nail. Nail is quite literally the darker self of... Uh, he's an antagonist. Uh, he's I'm talking about villain. I, I'm specifically talking about a protagonist okay. who right. has this this role. I mean, he is kind of the dark reflection kind of thing, but he's an antagonist. That's the distinction. I think ultimately some of the difference here may be that somebody playing this darker self role doesn't necessarily need to be in the spotlight all the time. There's sort of the shadow outside the spotlight in some mm-hmm. ways, and as the the spotlight bounces around to the other players and the other characters. He's there just to kind of say, hey, don't do this. Don't do this. A lot of the characters in Leverage can fill that role at various times, too. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I've started watching Leverage because they released it on Hulu. I've heard it's good. It's, it's, a, it's quite good. It's amazing. At least the first couple of seasons, which is all I've watched, is yeah. good. But It is the perfect example of why making deep and interesting characters that have multiple points about them is what makes you interesting. Going back to Parker... Again, Parker is awesome. You can describe her as the crazy thief, but then you get to some places where you start realizing that she's way more than just the crazy thief. Like in the episode where where they start talking about uh, orphan children and you get into that part of her backstory, you really see she doesn't like herself. <laughs> or her reaction to the cold reader. Have you gotten to that episode yet? I might have. I just don't remember what it is. Fair enough. Speaking of not liking people, and this is going to be an odd segue, but it's the best I can do. When you're playing with someone playing one of these characters, mm-hmm. hate the sin, not the sinner. <laughs> yes. If somebody's playing this, remember that they're doing it and it's not the player. It's the character. Yeah. You know, any of us are capable of playing a pretty scary bad guy. I think from the, the three of us and some of the conversations we've had. Yeah. We really try hard not to be that person in real life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's one of the reasons I think this is, you know, that bad characters are worth playing in some ways it's so close to ourselves it's a good window into our own souls and say you know we were talking before about you know let's not do amateur home psychotherapy but i think you know for yourself it's a good way to maybe work out an issue you've got kind of to to do a little self-examination you know yeah and in fact actually the way that you guys are talking about this i can I can definitely see the the side of the argument that I have not been on a lot (laughs) more clearly with the additional context and stuff. Because I freely admit, I mean, this goes back to the earlier part of this conversation. I think part of it was a definitional argument. I was like, really? You guys see the value in playing the avatar of suffering? Because I don't. Yeah, and I don't either. It's boring. I can see in some aspects playing the avatar of suffering. But it would have to fit into the darker self or the redeemed thing. Yeah. The avatar of suffering who become who becomes the avatar of hope. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What an awesome character. Well, it's it's Final Fantasy IV 
when Cecil becomes, you know, goes from being a essentially a black guard to a redeemed paladin. Spoilers on a twenty-year-old game. <laughs> I like it. It's like I was twenty-five. Just playing it, gosh. Well, keep playing. Uh, it's actually pretty good for an NES game. And actually, Peter, you've played this character before. The redemption happened in the backstory, but you've played him. It's that Lord Soth character of yours. Oh yeah, very good point. You've played someone who was a horrible human being, and in many ways was not even human, and who yeah. got better. I mean, the some of those flashback scenes, I played him as just incredibly cruel. Right. Like, needlessly, pettily, creatively, viciously right. cruel. Right, and you picked up that character, I think, well along that redemption arc, if I understand it correctly. Right? Yeah, and he had some stumbles. And the stumbles um, are what made him interesting. Yeah, they, they, they were in a lot of ways, because he, um, at one point, he'd been getting a little bit ruthless in the way that he was fighting. Yeah. And he tried to use a paladin ability, and it didn't work. And he was like, oh. <laughs> and just to, to clarify for the people who don't know this character, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm kind of speaking for you here, but this is basically a paladin whose backstory that you discovered during the game was, oh, I am, was basically the biggest evil villain in Dragonlance. Yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> I don't remember any of that, and I'm a redeemed person now, but oh, I did that? Really? Oh, man, that's scary. So, Revan? Well, I don't know Revan, but it's... Kodor... <laughs> to bring it back to Star Wars. <laughs> it, it, we are back to Star Wars. Oh. Actually, but this this was a good concept. You uh, Knights of the Old Republic 2, you played a Sith who basically got mind-wiped and didn't remember being a Sith. You, you were okay. an incredibly powerful Jedi, and you know the bad guy attacked you and was like, dude, are you not coming back with me? And you're like, who are you? I'm going to go yeah. do this thing. And so the the story was basically, if you follow the light side, it's, hey, I'm being redeemed. And if you get the dark side, it's, I'm slipping back into my old ways. And it's a real pity they never actually finished Knights of the Old Republic 2, because it could have been good. Actually, from uh, that was, side that note was there, the from what I understand, the community finished it years later. They, did. they went and like dug out all the old assets and everything, and... Even talked to some of the original developers. Yeah, a friend of mine actually was recently playing through it and said he was really enjoying it. I think it was the same plot, sort of, in 1 and 2. I think you're playing the exact same character. I think it's Revan in both games. Is it? Okay. Like, I know I know it's Revan in the first game. You are Darth Revan. Ah. Uh, and the bad guy is Darth Malak, who is your buddy. Uh, okay. And... It's yeah. been ages. I, I apologize mm-hmm. if I screwed this up. I never really played them. I've just seen articles about them and because I'm a PC gaming enthusiast and read those websites. I've got KOTOR 1 on Steam. I just never was able to really get into it. I tried playing it, and I wasn't good at the game. My so laptop it's... won't play it. <laughs> Apparently the processor I have in my computer is incompatible with it. Right. Huh. Yeah. So anyway. we discussed how to handle being in the game with a, uh, a an evil player. It's basically, you know, I hate the sin, not the sinner. Now, uh, this, this final thing to end on is how to handle evil characters in your game as a GM. Right. Evil player characters specifically. Yes. Um, and I think ultimately it comes down to keeping in mind that story goal that the character is going for. Like we said, if they're playing a tragic figure, give them those warnings. Let them be the tragic figure, give them opportunities to redeem themselves that they just aren't going to take. Make it poignant. Likewise, if it's a redemption arc, tempt them back down, but reward them for... Resisting the temptation. Reward them for the perseverance 
and give them short-term temptations and little advantages that tempt them back down that towards what they're trying to be redeemed from. And I think ultimately, if you're, you've got a darker self kind of character, you need to make them seem wrong and make them seem scary, but ultimately in the story in such a way that you look and say, this guy was wrong. All of that evil really didn't come to anything. And I'm glad we didn't go that way. Uh, I have a point to make about the darker self okay. uh, that goes back to Monster Hearts. Because in Monster Hearts, every character has an aspect of them called their darkest self. I wonder if that's where I got the name from, subconsciously. Possibly. <laughs> okay. Possibly. But uh, what ends up happening is, is it, this happens when certain things trigger, your characters become your darker self, and then you sort of play out every negative aspect about their skits. Mm-hmm. In the game I had last week, uh, the witch character ended the game I had half a month before that by becoming her darkest self, which meant a whole bunch of nasty things. And, and in the end, it, it, it said that she could only escape it. This is something in the game that you, there's an escape clause to your darkest self. And hers was, she has to offer peace to the person who had hurt her most. And lo and behold, a couple of centuries before that, there was another member of band who really insulted her and was really nasty and mean to her. And just, a horrible person, like being a catty teenager. So, you know, I'm like, all right, well, if you want to get out of your darker self, she's hurt you the most. Uh-huh. You'll have to eventually offer peace to her. And so we were going through this whole game about how, like, what are they going to do and, and what's going to go on. And, and part of her darkest self is that anytime she casts a spell on someone, which when you're your darkest self, you do with the slightest provocation. Like, someone is uh, is mean to you, you chant a spell at them and do something horrible. And it has unattended consequences that disturb you a little bit. Right. And I, I keep doing these things, and, and her spells are ha- hitting more and more people, but, like, they, they aren't really getting an effect on her until, basically, she, she casts a spell on a guy and hits a whole football team instead. And they all start going crazy and sort of beating on each other. And one of her friends comes out to try to stop it out. And I describe how one of the football players takes his helmet, swings in and upward, the guy's head moves to the side, and there's a cracking sound as he falls to the ground. Yep. And instantly that hit home with her, you know, me showing her her darker self. And like a couple scenes later, she goes and apologizes to the person to get out of her darker self. Yeah, that moment of, okay, too far, I get it now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and it was just such a poignant thing that happened that I wanted to bring it up because she's being an evil person. Yeah, that's the value of this sort of character. And I think there we're talking about somebody who's gone through that fall and then come back for that that rise. Yeah, and well, that's, that's come back stronger for it. Yeah, why I love Monster Hearts is because it can be played that way. Yeah, it can be played as just a huge, you know, horrible evil thing, but you can also do things like where people become their darkest self, yeah. you, hurt, you hit them where it hurts. And I think and most games have that potential. Some are just more suited for it than others. You know, it's one of the yeah. reasons I like Unknown Armies. It's really well suited to that sort of thing. Yeah. Don't rest your head. Specifically designed for it. I have got to get my hands on a copy of Unknown Armies one of these days. All the stuff you've told me about it makes it sound really awesome. I should have told you about this. One of the Humble Bundles had Unknown Armies and a bunch of the books in it. For like a buck extra. Oh. Yeah, sorry, I should have told you about it. My mistake. It's okay. If it comes around again or something like that, please let me know. Let I'll me know too. I, I don't have a job, but like, yeah, I the mean, two dollars I have saved, I might throw at that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's PDF bundles. They're they're cheap, especially for the humble bundle stuff. Anyway, the final one. If someone is being a puppy kicking sadistic jerk, 
don't have them in your game, just pull them aside, stop the game, and go, hey, look, buddy, um, look, you're causing problems. This is getting back into everything we said about problem players and yeah. uh, things it's like that. It's a problem that. player. It's somebody trying to hog the spotlight. Just make it not happen in all the different ways you've got at your disposal. Yeah, I, I jokingly have written down here, send them home, but there's a lot of other ways to do it. Just deal, w- deal with that problem because it is a problem. And it's probably going to eventually destroy the fun because if they're being like that and they know they're being like that and they don't want to stop, then they're not just pretending to be evil. They're actually being actual real world evil. They're caring way more about themselves than they are about the rest of the party. It's selfishness is what it is. Yeah. Hey, I want to be the center of attention. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care that you don't like animal cruelty. I'm going to go kick puppies. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think I'm going to quit the game. Oh, <laughs> sucks to be you. Yeah, you're 100% correct. And yeah. on that note, I think we have done a pretty good job at this one. Took longer than I expected, but that's yeah, all right. Yeah, we rambled a little bit, but I think we covered all the necessary bases pretty yeah. well. And congratulations, you guys actually persuaded me out of my rather strident position a little, too. Oh, I think you were right that it's definitional, but I think also <laughs> the kind of character you're talking about, you're right. There's no fun in that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. In You're fact, not it, was, wrong. it was traumatic to play one. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's why I wanted to discuss it, because I'm like, I know once Peter actually hears what we're going to say, it's going to be like, oh, oh, so they're not talking about playing Hitler or yeah. Mussolini <sighs> or Puppy Did you kickers. say Hitler? Really? We got one hour and 43 minutes into the episode, <laughs> and we finally godwinded it right at the end. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Brandon, killing me. <laughs> okay, all right. Begin at it here. You know, like, no, uh, leave us in. No, no. It's, on a more serious it, note, it's been on a more serious note. Can't. I'm not advocating for cutting the humor out, but on a on a more serious note, when you're not just playing the Joker, where all you want to do is watch people you watch know, the squirm world burn. and watch the world burn, yeah. yeah, then you've got a lot more to discuss. Yeah, exactly. What I, what I was talking about is somebody that wants to make sure that the world has a good airway so it can feel all the burning. Yeah. And that is only, like, really interesting if you're doing it to redeem this character. And honestly, in that place, I would rather start way further along the road to redemption than there. And that's that's a personal thing. Yeah, it's personal thing. I would like to, I would like to be like, I am a horrible, horrible person. So at the end, I think, wow, this guy really is trenched. Okay, this is this is one thing that I that may actually spawn its own episode or may not. But I think when you have somebody who starts that far down in the darkness, the consequences of their actions are going to be as much of a part of the story as their redemption is. And even if they wind up becoming a better person, they're going to have so many built-up consequences that it may not actually matter in anything other than like that person's internal condition of their soul. Like the world will be so scarred by their having been there and they will need to face so much justice that it's well, again, did your Lord Soth character? Yeah. That's assuming that they're yeah, successful it, in it. Like the character yeah. the character who's sitting there and glowering and hating everyone and wants to stab people in the back, but he can't. It's just impotent really in his rage is way more what I would play than the person who actually burns the world down. Because yeah. if I burn the world down and I succeed, there is no more story. Right. And that's the sort of character who can't win at that point. You're right. Yeah. Um, I do think it's perfectly viable to have a character 
who was something like that, but all of the horrible, horrible nihilism happens in the backstory and you pick it up further along. Yeah. And it's it's a matter of taste. Is it a character you want to play? Is it a character you can figure out how to play? Does it gel with the rest of the party because it's not just you playing by yourself, etc.? There's a lot of factors. Well, in the end that I got for the, the Lord Soth character at the end of that campaign was actually a lot more Disney than I was hoping I was going to ah. get. I wanted that character to, like, be found out for who he had been and have to atone for that. And then, like, right before, you know, he gets dropped from the scaffold or something, just say that he was sorry or something or sacrifice himself heroically to save a bunch of innocents or something like mm -hmm. that. To be honest, that's that's exactly how I wanted my King Officer Killbot to go out. If the party worked and got him redeemed, he was going to go out in a noble sacrifice. Because he's, yeah. he's a thing of destruction. He's walking with an atomic bomb in his chest. So the only thing that he has to do is the only thing I can do. The best thing for the world is I take out my evil and the evil of this thing together. And I touch nothing good in the process. That is the best for me. The unnecessary, or <laughs> the unnecessary, the necessary evil campaign that I played a year ago or more at this point. It's a published Savage Worlds adventure where you're all playing supervillains who end up end up having to save the world because all the superheroes are dead. And you start off kind of going, no, this is my world. I'm here to conquer it. You, aliens, stop conquering it. But the point is you end up along the way changing from supervillain to superhero. And I was really looking forward to my character dying in the penultimate scene. I was really looking forward to it. I talked to the GM and said, GM, make this happen. It's going to be that final breaking point where everyone else goes, Okay, we're the good guys now. It's time for a change. Supervillains don't give their lives up for others. Superheroes do. We are superheroes now. I want to put out an episode idea that we need to talk about. And like most of my episodes ideas, this check back in about five years and <laughs> we'll get to it. Um, death. That's very true. We got to talk about it at some point. I think yeah. it's I think yeah. it's like one of the things you have to check off for an RPG podcast anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, to prove you're a serious <laughs> yeah, podcast, you've got to talk sure about it. I'm not we're actually a real podcast until we've covered that yeah, at some point. Yeah, there's like a list of several different topics you have to talk about. Playing the bad guys, that's yeah, one I mean, of we, them. We got, we got alignment, we got playing the bad guys, we got, you know, we had a whole episode about paladins. That yeah, was... we interviewed someone. We've got a couple of interviews yep. under our belt. We interviewed someone who's more famous than we are. Most of the people we've interviewed, I think, are more famous than we are. Yeah. Not hard. Not all of them, though. So, yeah, we're, we're making our way through the list. It's good. All right. We're approaching the two-hour mark, which is nuts for us. I think we've pretty clearly run this topic into the ground. As always, if you've got comments on the episode, we've got our Google Plus community, and would love to hear from you on that. Do take a look at the donation page for our fundraiser for the Bodana Group. Yeah. Please donate to them. They're a great cause. Um, listen to the episode if you haven't already. You'll really enjoy it. And from all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good evening. Yeah. Have a good one, folks. See you later. <laughs> so much ham. This has been a production of Saving the Game. Copyright 2013. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.